Greetings, brethren. Welcome to day two of the Feast of Tabernacles 2022. And let's ask the question, why are we here? And why is it called the Feast of Tabernacles? And what is going to be the purpose in it? And how is this going to affect our lives and affect the whole world? Because it will. So let's begin at the ending. And then we will go to the beginning. And let's entitle this The Dwelling Place of God. And this is going to be exciting and fulfilling. Okay? Now, Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the Father and to the Son both of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That's the ending. And let's look at another thing of the promises given to us by God. And why we're here. And why we study. Why we pray. And why we live our lives according to the word of God. And his commandments and his laws. Because the family of God and the dwelling place of God and his family is the whole purpose of why we're here. So let's come to Second Peter, the first chapter, and let's see what Peter wrote because he understood God's plan in great detail. So here's what he wrote. Second Peter, first chapter, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained the same precious faith. And that faith and that belief comes from God. It comes from his spirit. As ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ in our lives. That's an amazing thing. We'll talk about that a little later. Grace and peace be multiplied to you, not just given to you, not just given to us, but multiplied over and over and over again. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, 
Now, we're going to learn more of God's way today. Okay? According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life. Now, that's eternal life. This life and eternal life. And godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. Now, think of that. Think of the calling that God has given to each one of us. Through which he has given to us, now listen to this, the greatest and most precious promises. There can't be anything greater anywhere on earth or in heaven. That through these, you might become partakers of the divine nature, becoming a son or daughter of God and living with God. Who? Imagine that. Yes, that's what God's plan pictures. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Yes. Then he gives his steps on how to do it. But we're going to look at some overall things that are going to help us understand what God is doing. Now let's come to Titus, the first chapter. Now it's very interesting that God did not reveal this to Paul until the very end the very last, when he was in prison, just before he died. And this is the capstone that he understood, and he wants us to understand as well, that we're not just dealing with a religion to make you better people in the world, to make us more acceptable, to make us more delightful. Hopefully, we will be better that way. But that's not the whole plan. See, because God has something greater than that. So let's read it. Titus, the first chapter, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the faith that he gives to us, and the belief and the strength and the intervention and the knowledge, and the knowledge of the truth. That's what we need, brethren. That's what's missing in the world. They have the knowledge of good and evil, and they can't discern good from evil today. They're so evil and so captivated in this world that Satan rules profoundly today. And a knowledge of the truth that is according to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, to live forever. And that's what all religion pretends to give. 
a substitute for the real thing that God has already promised, eternal life. Now notice, which God, who cannot lie, promised, now listen carefully, before the ages of time. So we are reaching way back beyond. Let's see some of that. And let's see how that fits into the Feast of Tabernacles, because it's so important. So important was this, that he also wrote it in Second Timothy. And he wrote Second Timothy and Titus at the same time. Verse 6, Paul writes to Timothy, and this is the last thing that he wrote to Timothy, and he knew he was going to die. Some insights in here that we have covered before, but let's go over them again because this adds to our understanding for the Feast of Tabernacles and the plan of God. For this reason, I admonish you to stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands, and that's the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And brethren, in this age and in this time, we need to do that as well. See? Stir up the gift that is in you. How do you do that? Through prayer, through study, through understanding the Word of God, through looking out at the world and seeing the vast chasm that is opening up between the world and the people of God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound-mindedness. Therefore, based on that, you should not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but jointly suffer with me for the sake of the gospel according to the power of God. And things were going so bad for the church at that time that it looked like it was going to be exterminated and removed from the face of the earth. But it wasn't because this is God's work. Verse 9 who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace. That's quite a thing to understand. Really put it together. See, Now, let's understand something about grace. A little sidebar here. Grace is not the escape hatch so you can continue to live in sin while you profess faith and belief in Christ. Grace is the foundation of the knowledge and of the relationship that we have with God the Father and Jesus Christ, that we have direct connection to them spiritually, with the Spirit of God, through prayer and through study 
and through yielding to God. Okay? And add to that the power of faith and meditation and fasting to draw close to God. Okay? Notice, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, there's that phrase again, before the ages of time. Now, isn't that amazing? See, you look at everything that there is and you see it's all planned out. It's all designed. That also tells us that God has a greater overall plan. Okay? So let's see what that is. Let's understand what God is doing. Okay? Now, let's come to Genesis, the first chapter. And then we will see some other things that fill in the blanks that are not filled in there, but are other places. Okay? Now then, Genesis, the first chapter. Now let's start right in verse 1. In the beginning, God. And there was God in Christ when? Before the ages of time. God created the heavens. Full stop. And the earth. Okay, now, in between creating the heavens, and we've seen some awesome and fantastic new pictures of the heavens going out 13 billion light years through the James Webb Telescope. Amazing, okay? And in between the creating of the heavens and the earth, was the creation of the angels. So hold your place here in Genesis 1, and let's come to the book of Job, chapter 38. Okay? Now, Job is quite an interesting book, and it's awfully hard to understand for some people. Okay? And it is. Because Job was so righteous and so good. See? But a quick summation of Job's problem. Chapter 35, book of Job now. Verse 1. And Elihu answered and said, now he's talking to Job, because Job was so righteous that he wanted to have a judge set up that would come down and he would judge between him and God. Okay. So Elihu saw his sin. His other three friends didn't see it. So Elihu asked him the question, do you think this to be right? You that say 
My righteousness is more than God's. Huh. That can never be. Then I want you to read all of chapter 35, 36, and 37. And Job pleaded, oh, that God would come down and talk to me. Well, God answered his request and came and talked to him. Chapter 38. And here's where we find out that between the creation of the heavens and the earth, God created the angels. The only place in the Bible that really shows it clearly, so let's read it. Verse 1, Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, gird up your loins like a man, for I will demand of you and you shall answer me. Now, that was quite a conversation, huh? So in order to let Job see, and I want you to read all of 38 and 39, and that'll help give you an overall picture of it. So God asked Job this, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You're so righteous, Job. Declare it, if you have understanding. Who has determined the measurements, if you know? What are the measurements of the earth? <laughs> Pretty big. And the universe? Awesome. Or who has stretched out a line upon it, or what are the foundations fastened to? Or who laid its cornerstone? Now notice verse 7. Because this is talking about angels. Okay. So here God is laying the foundation of the earth. Okay. Verse 7. When the morning stars sang together... And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now why? Because God originally gave the earth to the angels. Okay. That's why. And we'll see, this helps answer the question of some of the Difficult verses in Genesis 1. All right? So there we have that. But what happened? Now, in order to what happened, to understand what happened, we have to come all the way back to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. This is quite a thing. See. This is why we need to put the scriptures together to understand what they're telling us and what the meaning is, okay? Now, Revelation 12 reaches back in time before the angels of God 
some of them rebelled with Satan. Now, how long a time were they on the earth before they rebelled? Now, we answered some of those questions on the Day of Atonement before we came to the Feast of Tabernacles. So let's read it here, okay? Revelation 12 and verse 1. Then there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and having the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. Now that's interesting. This is the plan of God as pictured by a woman. Let's see it. And being with child, she cried in travail and was in pain to deliver. Okay. That's a forward projection to the birth of Jesus Christ. Another sign was seen in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, that is, a third of the angels, and cast them to the earth. All right, now let's put this together with Job. When God created the earth and laid the foundation, they all rejoiced. But when God revealed his plan that all of the angels now would be beneath the coming sons and daughters of God through the creation of man and woman, Satan rebelled and took a third of the angels with him. Amazing. Okay. Then it goes clear forward to the birth of Christ. Okay. Now, let's put those two things together and come back to Genesis, the first chapter. Because we see with the earth. Okay. Now God is renewing the surface of the earth, as we will see, for human life. Okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens, and then, as we've seen with the other scriptures, the angels, and then the, he created the earth, and they were all happy and rejoicing, but then they rebelled and they left their habitation and they left the creation of God that God gave to them. And Lucifer was the one who wanted to be as the Most High. And he was cast down and a third of the angels went with him to the earth. And what happened to the earth when they were cast down? See, right here it tells us, verse 2, and the earth was or became, meaning it was created before it became this, without form and void, tohu and bohu, that means chaos and confusion. 
and God never created anything in chaos and confusion, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So there was a first flood. And even science today could look and see by the strata that there were two floods. Okay? This one and the one of Noah. Okay? And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now this is when God began to renew the earth for mankind and all of the things that go on the earth to make it a complete habitation for man. Okay? Let's read it. God said, let there be light. There was light, light and darkness, greater day and night. And then we go through everything that God made. Okay? And so he made the, the waters, brought forth the dry land, brought forth the herbs and the grass and things. Okay? Then he set the, the sun and the moon in their proper positions for the appointed times, appointed seasons. We find that in verse 14 through 16. Then we find in verse 20. Now this is interesting. And God said, let the waters abound with swarms of living creatures. And oh, all of the creatures that God has made that are in the waters and in the oceans, they're absolutely astounding. And there is life in the deepest parts of the ocean that men did not know anything about until we have had the modern equipment we have today to go seven miles down into the depths of the abyss of the ocean and find there is life. Here we have verse 20. And God said, let the waters abound with swarms of living creatures and let fowl fly over the earth on the face of the firmament of heaven. That's an interesting statement there. Okay. But since birds and fish and different creatures live their lives being guided by the sun. He set the sun in its proper place and the moon in its proper place before he created the fish and the fowl and certain of the other animals that had to go by the use of the sun. So it's all in perfect order as God created it. Verse 21, God created great sea animals and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm after their kind and every winged fowl after their kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the sea and let the fowl multiply in the earth. Is that amazing? Sometimes when all the birds get together in one place, it's an amazing thing that God has made all of them and for the purpose. Take care of the earth. Get rid of the insects. Clean the water. Provide food for mankind. So forth. Then after that, and that was the fifth day, verse 23, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, livestock, creeping things, and the beast of the earth, each after its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after their kind, livestock after their kind, every creeping thing upon the earth after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now then, here comes the creation of man, and that means mankind, and woman. Okay? Now, nothing in all the creation of God has been made in the image and likeness of God as man has been. Let's read it. And God said, let us, now we know the us means God the Father, Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and the Most High, and Jehovah in the Old Testament. Okay? Doesn't mean the angels. The angels had no creative power. No. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of heaven, over the, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that crawls upon the earth. What a statement that is. So this is quite a thing. And this is why human beings have the abilities that they do. Now, everything was to reproduce after its kind. Now, let's read this again. Let's make man in our image after our likeness. Now, the untold phrase that the rest of the Bible shows is this. And after our kind. That's what God devised before the ages of time. Let's read on. Verse 27, and God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, and he created them male and female. And it's always been male and female. All of the animals, male and female, male and female, birds, male and female. Okay? Satan's way is to destroy it. 
Satan's world is what's going on today. And trying to say that men can give birth. Huh. And they're working feverishly for scientific ways in order to make that happen. But they will never be able to do it without using what God created in woman first. So they're never going to be able to replicate God's creation. And in their rebellion, they want to destroy the male and female creation of God and mix the genders and have transgenders and all of the lying deception that goes with it. And they are all going to suffer the penalty from God for defying God, for trying to replace God with their own way. And that's inspired by Satan the devil. And that's what Satan wanted to do when he rebelled against God. And he didn't like the thing of being able to see God make human beings. No, 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 no. And because he rebelled, and because he went against God, God made man after his own image, after his own likeness, and gave him the whole earth and the dominion of the whole thing so that he could be with man and they could, they could dwell together. And we will see that Adam and Eve were in the dwelling place of God called the Garden of Eden. Okay? Getting a little ahead of myself, okay? So after he made them male and female, he blessed them. Verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of heaven and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And it's so. That's exactly what has happened, okay? Come here to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was exceedingly good. Okay? The evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now then, it says over here that he made male and female, and that had to happen on the sixth day. Because it says, the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God then made the most important day of the earth for all mankind, the Sabbath. Let's read it, chapter 2. And thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them and by the beginning of the seventh day, that's what it means. It doesn't mean, and on the seventh day, 
because then he would have been working on the Sabbath. By the beginning of the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had made. And that means he also made Eve on the sixth day. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That means made it holy because on it, he rested from all his work, which God had made and created. Let's come down to verse 7. Now this backs up to the sixth day. And the rest of this chapter covers the sixth day. Let's read it. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now then, breathing in the breath of life, he breathed in the spirit of man, as we know in 1 Corinthians 2, there is a spirit in man which gives him consciousness, which gives him life, which gives him power of thought, and with his mind gives him the power of choice. Free will choice. But remember with that, and we all have it. There are none of us that do not have it. In order to know right from wrong, we've got to know the word of God. And that knowledge has to come from God. No other place. Over in chapter 1, it tells us that God made them. In chapter 2, verse 7, and also including Eve a little later, tells us how he made man. Okay? At verse 8 now, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Now then, here comes the rest of the creation of God. Now, verse 15, come over here to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Okay. And God told him, saying, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, in dying you shall surely die. Okay. He was told right off. And of course, Adam had no consciousness of what death was. Okay. Now, verse 18. 
And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make an helper compatible for him. For out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that became its name. Okay, so apparently God made Adam early in the morning, put him in the garden, brought these animals and things all past him. Here they came, all the animals, male and female, the birds, male and female, the creeping things, male and female, okay? And what was missing? Here was Adam, he was male, but there was no female. So, here's what God did, okay? After Adam named all the living things, okay, to the birds of the air, to every animal of the field, but there was not found a helper compatible for Adam. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. This is sometime on the sixth day. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and afterward closed up the flesh underneath. Then the Lord made the rib which he took out of, out of the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, so he knew what was going on. He knew what God was going to do. That's quite a thing, see? This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Okay. Now let's go ahead and take a break and we'll come back and we'll get through the rest of the story here and a dwelling place for God. Now let's continue on with day two of the Feast of Tabernacles and come to Genesis, the third chapter. Now, before we get into it, there are certain things that we know that we don't know. We know this, that God lived in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. Obviously, God had his place, and Adam and Eve had their place. How long they lived that way, before we come to chapter 3, we don't know. But we do know this, that God never subjects a person to the trial that they went through here without knowledge of the truth first. Now, this didn't mean 
that they received the full knowledge of God's plan and everything like that. No, they didn't. But they were certainly taught the law of God. And whatever God commanded them to do was the law. So before the serpent, Satan the devil, God let him come into the Garden of Eden to test Adam and Eve. Now, since God gives free moral agency, we need to have some circumstances to, to substantiate and prove that we will choose what is right and do what is right. Because there is good and there is evil. And there is right and there is wrong. Now then, we can see from the generation that we're living in today, when you have a generation that is not taught right from wrong, good from evil, and that they are taught to love themselves, and each individual becomes an entity unto himself. In other words, he becomes in his own mind God because he decides what's right and wrong and what is good and evil. Okay. Now we will see that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. Okay? So God would not let the serpent in there until they had full knowledge. Now, the point is this. It doesn't matter how long the time was. It matters what did they choose. You know, just like our own children growing up, we tell them, don't do that. Now, if they don't do that, then everything is well. But if they do that and they get themselves in trouble, then what happens? Everything becomes a fight. And then discipline must come for the infraction of what was done. Now, that's a basic common tenet that we find in everything because God is the one who has established right and wrong and good and evil. Okay. But he is the one to decide what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's evil. So therefore, what is good, he made it his law to do. What is evil is to not obey his law. Now, the three words we need to remember through all this episode is obey my voice. Okay? And as we go through and see this in the survey of what we're going to do 
a dwelling place of God. So here we are. Dwelling place of God, and God appeared to Adam and Eve pretty much like a human being. Because we find later on, when God was talking to Moses, and Moses was pleading with God to see his glory, he says, no man can see my face and live. That is, no one can see God in his glory and live. Now, if God reduces himself down to appearing as a human being, then you can talk with God, he can talk with you, and that's what we have with Adam and Eve. So let's pick it up, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Is it true? Now why did he pick on the woman? Okay. We don't know. Well, she was there. And we will see, Adam could have stopped the whole thing, but didn't. All right? Is it true that God has said? Now, you challenge God. You shall not eat of any of the trees of the garden. Making a false statement. Now, if you know right from wrong, good from evil, when you hear something false, what do you do? You correct it. So let's read it. Which Eve did. And the woman said to the serpent, we may freely eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has indeed said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, the phrase there, lest you touch it, okay, that was probably additional instruction from God. Some have said, well, Eve added that to it. We have no substantiation that that was true. God told him, okay? Now then, evil always has a comeback. So if you're not prepared, and if you're not grounded, you can easily get trapped, which is what happened to Eve. Verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, In dying you shall not surely die. For God knows. Now he's accusing God. And he's saying God is hiding something from you that you need to know. See? So this tells us when anyone brings up any accusation against the word of God, be careful because you can get yourself in trouble. For God knows that in a day you eat of it, your eyes shall be open, 
Everyone wants new knowledge. Everyone wants the secret thing known. Don't they? Yes. And you shall be like God. Now, oh, see, now God appeared to them more like a human being. See. So wasn't it you be like God in glory and power and things like this? You be like God deciding good and evil. In other words, instead of following the commands of God and the rules of God, you make your own rules. And you decide what is good and evil. Now look what has happened to the world since that time because of that very same thing that goes here. And nothing has changed. We'll see that in a little bit. So, she was curious. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. Now, nothing happened to her. She also gave to her husband with her, so there he was right there with her, and he ate. Now then, it shows this. Whenever the head of the family sees something wrong, that should not be, he should not go along with it. And that carries all the way down in time, all the way down through everything of history that we know. Okay? And he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened to see evil. And closed to see good. And they knew that they were naked. Now everything involved of what caused this to be this way, we don't know. The only way we can have some understanding of it is, look at this generation that we have today that believes that anything with sex, go. Well, that's not true. It's not true today, and it wasn't true back then. So we don't know what happened. But we do know that Satan always, always perverts sex. And what he's done today is what he probably did back then. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay? Whenever you do something wrong, you always try and cover your bases, right? Here it was, cover their nakedness. All right? Did that do away with what they did? No. Did that change the circumstances of what they were in? 
No, but the eating of the fruit changed the circumstances. And God knew. Okay? And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Okay? Now that means God was coming from where his abode was in the garden down to them. And he knew what they had done. Obviously, he knew. Then Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, we know this. Nothing can be hidden from God. Okay? Nothing. Every secret's going to be known. Shouted from the housetop. Exposed to show the ignominy of their sin. So God knew. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Because they were hiding. You know, you can't hide from God. You can never, never hide from God. And everything you do is recorded on the spirit of man that you have. So God knows anyway, right? Okay. And he said, that is Adam did, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I am naked, so I hid myself. So God said, who told you you were naked? And you might add in there, and afraid. Okay. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? He wanted to find out if Adam would tell the truth. Now what happens when you get caught and you, you don't want to admit that you did it or that you were responsible? What does human nature all, always do? And what does Satan always cause people to do? To blame someone else. But the truth is, each one of us, from Adam and Eve down all human beings, were responsible for our own choices and decisions. Okay? He didn't say, well, I ate of it because I was weak. Well, he didn't say that. Let's see what he said. So since he didn't answer the question, God asked him, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Okay. And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. The question is, Adam, why didn't you refuse? You could have. But you didn't. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Now, she wasn't willing to admit what she did. And she said, 
the serpent deceived me and I ate. And that was true. She was deceived. So, here comes the judgment of God. Every sin requires a judgment. And there is a penalty. Okay? And in this case, this was so profoundly important that it affected all of mankind down through all history. to this very day and beyond. Now think of that. That's why it's important we understand this. How do you think the church got taken down internally? Because men did things they knew weren't right. And God had to bring a penalty and punishment upon them. Okay? And just like Adam and Eve were thrust out of the Garden of Eden, God took away many times down through history the church because of sin, which came from where? Satan, the devil. So that's why this is important. See? Now then, God brings his judgment, beginning with a serpent. And his judgment is, we'll find out when we get toward the end of the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day, that the final punishment of Satan will be known. This is the beginning of it right here. Verse 14, and the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock, above every animal of the field, and you shall go on your belly, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between you and your seed and her seed. And that is true. There's always been an aversion of serpents and snakes by human beings. Now, for those who are Satan lovers, they love and embrace snakes. Huh? Quite a thing. Okay? Between your seed and her seed, and that's a prophecy of what? Jesus Christ. So now, this projects all the way forward 4,000 years. So that's why these early chapters of the Bible are important. Okay? And who was it that actually killed Christ? Was it not Satan? Yes, indeed, it was. And when he did, he thought he had won. But Christ was raised from the dead. 
because God's plan is going forward and going to work out for the best for everyone. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's a sign of the crucifixion. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your sorrow and your conception. Okay? So this is why mothers need to be especially alert and strong and loving and teaching their children from infancy on up what is right. If you don't, you can have enough sorrow and pain when the child is born. And you can have enough sorrow and difficulties in them growing up. But if you don't correct them and if you don't teach them, you're going to have sorrow and misery just like this generation that we have today. Okay? And sorrow shall you bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Okay? The husband is the head of the wife. That's the way God made it. And to Adam he said, because you have hearkened to the voice of your wife instead of to me, to obey my voice, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. The ground is cursed for your sake. And in sorrow. So women are going to have sorrow. Men are going to have sorrow. Okay. Shall you eat of it all the days of your life? Now, we'll see how long they lived here in just a minute. And it shall also bring forth thorns and thistles to you, and thus shall you eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and dust you are, and in the dust you shall return. Turn. Okay. Now come over here to chapter 5. Chapter 5. Let's see how long, it doesn't tell us how long Eve lived, but it tells us how long Adam lived. Let's pick it up in verse 1, Genesis 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man. He made man in the likeness of God. And he created them male and female and blessed them and called their name Adam, Mr. and Mrs. Adam. In the day when he had created them. Now he doesn't need to repeat the sins here because they're over in chapter 3. And Adam lived 135 years and begat a son of his own likeness and after his own image, and he called his name Seth. So the death of Abel was when they were 135 years old. Now that's a long time. And think about what everything that may have gone on in that 135 years. We're not told it. Okay. But the main thrust of everything 
we find in chapter 4. Okay? Now, before we get to chapter 4, let's finish off chapter 3. Verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living, all the children. Now, how many children they had? Well, the best we know of it is what Josephus wrote in his history of the people of Israel, that they had 56 children. Now then, at that time, since all the genes were variant, then what God undoubtedly did was this. He would cause whatever race or color of the children to be born, he would cause the male and female to be born. And then they would marry. And so that's how he established all the races of people and why Adam and Eve probably had 56 children. Okay. Now we can only surmise that. We can't actually prove it. But it had to be something like that. Okay. Now verse 21, chapter 3. And for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made coats of skins and clothed them. Now, that may have been made from goats, and that may have been a sin offering for what they had done. Now then, they were mostly cut off from God from that time forward. Before that, they lived in the Garden of Eden and had access to God every day. After that, here's what God did. And the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us to decide good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, even to this day, we don't completely understand this verse. But we know that when we get to New Jerusalem, and we know that there's going to be the tree of life. Huh. Okay. How does that work as a spirit being? Well, God hasn't told us. Because we have enough to take care of our lives right now than to know what that's going to be. So we'll know what it will be at the time. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he had been taken, and he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Now, I'll just give you a little hint of everything. The whole layout of the tabernacle and temple of God is based upon the Garden of Eden and the East Gate. 
Okay? Now that's a separate topic all in itself. Now let's come forward to chapter 4. And chapter 4 tells us that they knew of laws of God. And so God probably met Adam and Eve outside of the gate of the Garden of Eden to teach them various things of what they needed to know. And they also had a sacrificial system which probably began with the two goats that were undoubtedly used to make their coverings after they had sinned. Chapter 4 and verse 1, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord, because of the prophecy that was given after they had sinned. And she thought, Oh, here's the one that God promised. But it wasn't. And she bore again, his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. There's nothing wrong with being a tiller of the ground. There were certain laws about animals and animal sacrifice and tithing and firstlings that we see given to the children of Israel. So he probably gave the same laws back here. We're not told because we don't need to take up the whole Bible for that information. We can rightly deduce it from what God gave to the children of Israel. Now, what were the laws concerning what was grown in the ground? The laws given to Israel, you would bring the first of the first fruits, the very first ripe you would bring an offer to God, okay? Give it to the priest. Then, of what the crop would produce, 10% would also go to God. So that's what we find with the children of Israel. Now, so when Cain, we'll see in a bit, did not do what was right, he had to break a law of God concerning what he should have brought, but he decided to bring whatever he wanted. Okay? Now remember a principle from this. Whenever we decide that we do what we think is right, in place of what God says is right, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. So let's read it. Verse 3. And it came to pass that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Okay. And Cain also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat of it. So it shows the law, the firstlings, and the offerings, right? And the Lord had regard unto Abel and his offering. Why? Because he did it according to the command of God. 
But he did not regard Cain and his offering, and Cain was extremely angry, and his countenance fell. Okay, now notice what happened. God was right there, wherever the offering was, and Cain became jealous of Abel because God accepted his offering but refused Cain's offering. Huh. Now, question. Because you sin, because God says it's not right, and you get angry, does that make it right? Now, what are you supposed to do when you sin? Repent. Now, things would have been entirely different if Cain would have repented and corrected and brought the right offering of the ground. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, or that is correctly, shall you not be accepted? But of course. But if you do not well, sin lies at the door. Now that's an interesting statement. Let's examine that a minute. Okay. Sin is what? First John 3, 4, transgression of the law. There was a law here because there couldn't be sin without a law. Where there is no law, there is no sin. Okay? So the law was in effect. Now then, this also shows that those who claim there was no law from Adam and Eve until the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, they're completely Wrong, and we'll see that again a little later. Completely wrong. Because God cannot bring a punishment if there is not a law. If you do not well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it showing that every human being, when they sin, must overcome it. And that starts with what? Repentance. We have to rule over our own minds, over our own emotions, over our own feelings. But Cain did not do it. Verse 8. And Cain talked with his brother Abel, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Okay. Now, isn't that the way that those dedicated to evil always do? They come after those who are righteous to get rid of them. 
And that's what we're seeing today. This woke movement is a religion. And they want to enforce it on everyone else. And who is the power behind it? Satan the devil. That's right. Continuing on. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Of course you are. See? And he, the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now then, why did it do that? Because God knew where the blood was shed and the life is in the blood and the life was fleeting out and in a sense crying out to God. Because Cain did not repent. Here's something else that happens and we can see it in the world today. There are some countries that are just absolutely cursed because of their civilization, because of their religion, because of their laws, because of the way that they live, and the ground is cursed. So let's read it. Verse 11. Now you are cursed from the earth, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. And you shall be a wanderer and a fugitive upon the earth. Nomad, going from place to place, staying for however long the few resources would last. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Oh, yes, those who perpetrate terrible crimes don't like the punishment coming upon them. Well, let's see. Behold, you have driven me out from the face of the earth today. He could no longer come to the east end of the Garden of Eden to meet with God. He was driven out. And I shall be hidden from your face. And I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. And it shall be that anyone who finds me shall kill me. Oh, poor little baby. Well, the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain... Revenge shall be taken on him sevenfold, and the Lord set a mark upon Cain so that anyone who found him should not kill him. Now, what was the mark? We don't know. Now, we can guess. Okay, so I'll ring the bell. We'll guess. Was it a cross? Huh. 
interesting. But everyone would see it, right? They would know this is Cain. He killed his brother Abel. Huh. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in Node to the east of Eden. Clear away. Now, Cain had a wife. Okay. He knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Okay. So he built a city instead of wandering. Okay. Again. Now, we won't get into any more of this today. We'll continue tomorrow. See? But all of this has to do a dwelling place of God. Because God wants to be with his people. But people don't want to be with God who gives them his law. So I want you to think on that and see what it is that today is a curse and a bane upon the people of America in a religious sense of the same pattern that we have here, that they make their own rules and regulations and claim they're from God. And they're not. So we'll see you tomorrow. So have a good rest of the day and the evening.